They're getting the best treatment, the best care. They can't the... be just peeing themselves on the red carpet. So I'm sure that they're not just messing around with that shit. That's, that's their main reason. <laughs> I can't be peeing on the red carpet. So help me. Hey, ladies, and welcome back to Herspective, and be right back. I'm just going to go chug an entire 26er of vodka because I'm in for almost another three weeks of virtual school. So, yeah, bear with me on that one. (laughs) I really had no idea where that was going, and then when you said vodka, I'm like, okay, fair. I wonder if there's a reason, but okay. (laughs) And you do have a reason, and yeah, like, fuck that. Yeah, me and every parent right now, I feel like, is just in the same boat. Um, But didn't we know this? I thought we kind of knew this. It was. Well, you always hold on to the hope that when they say it's going to end at this date, that it actually does. But I I didn't really, like, know that wasn't going to happen. I mean, with the numbers climbing and everything. But there's always that little fragment of hope that you just hang on to. And... Um, for my area, it wasn't changed until like last minute. So that just was announced last week. And, uh, so I was like, oh my God, maybe it's, maybe it's going to happen, but no. And I mean, no fault of the teachers or the government or whatever. I get everyone's doing what they can do, but it's just like a nightmare, but that's why I drink every day. So it's working out, I guess. Hence I've taken up drinking. Stopping, <laughs> hence you stopping our intro to go buy some vodka. Yeah. <laughs> like of all exactly. the times in the day. Yeah. No, so uh, just, just pause your episode and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be right back for your regularly scheduled programming. No, I'm just kidding. Or better yet, moms, go join Lauren because yeah. I'm sure all of you can relate. Moms, um, go get yourself a glass of wine or whatever your drink of choice, and let's or not just, just do moms. Like, a, I could use one too. Yeah, <laughs> if you're dealing with COVID, go get you're a live drink. right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a poor joke. Yeah. Um, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Anyways, too soon, Jess. Um, too yeah. soon. <laughs> it's happening. So it's way too soon. It's not even fast. Uh, no. You know what? You have to live and well. Sometimes a little levity is necessary. We we obviously are, you know, taking it seriously, but sometimes you just have to laugh at your situation, right? Yeah, to get get through the day. Yeah, Yeah. and like like I was telling you earlier, I realized this week I hadn't even left the house in like four or five days. Do you know how that you know how long that is? Like not even for a walk or anything. Like my workouts are in the house, my job is in the house. I had not even left the house. Like, no fresh air. That's fucked. So (laughs) I went a bit nuts. Very unhealthy. And I recommend not continuing to do that. I know. Leave your damn house, woman. I literally ran in the middle of work. It wasn't even my lunch. I just literally ran out the door for a half an hour walk. Because I'm like, holy fuck. Thinking about the last time I was outside. So I went outside. And then I stalked a a woman (laughs) by accident. (laughs) So you're just actually going crazy. I'm glad we've established yeah. that. Yeah, pretty much. So that's straight up good. stalking people for fun now. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was walking as well ahead of me, but she just had a really good route. And I just happened to keep following her. And, you know, probably when she looked behind and saw me repeatedly, it was a little shocking. But I 
had no ill will. Well, I mean, shout out to her. I'm sure you appreciate yeah. that she she helped you. If she knew, yeah, she would be like, I get it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, anyways, guys, try and get out of the house if you can, because that'll help. I think. You know what? It's like kind of a repeat of what happened the first round of lockdown, and I think we talked about it. Uh. Well, it's kind of crazy to say, but like almost a year ago when I started being like, I I don't want to leave the house because you get so used to not being able to go anywhere other than the grocery store. But even that, I'm like, how long can I push it? Like, we have a can of beans. We'll be fine. (laughs) For all of you. (laughs) We all have one can of beans. (laughs) Six beans each. Don't get greedy. (laughs) Healthy and nutritious family. We're on a diet. Yeah. today <laughs> no it's true for some reason you get like in this groove where you're like yeah i'm good like i don't need to go out of the house today at all and then the next thing you know it's been four or five days and then you're yeah. like, okay this is a problem and, like but... i don't need to leave the house i don't need to clothe or bathe myself i don't need to brush my hair <laughs> any of those things anymore because <laughs> why i'm not leaving i'm not going anywhere there's no one to see me i'm glad that i have zoom calls to hold me accountable for all that although it happened today. I knew it was inevitable where you stand up in front of people and you're wearing your, you know, no pants, work pants. Well, <laughs> today I I was wearing shorts, but they're like one might call them underwear. But they're like, <laughs> anyways, I stood up and um, yeah, so immediately sat back down. <laughs> no, I didn't realized. even think about it. And then I realized I had to walk back to my computer but in the whole line of the of the lens of the camera. So you know what I mean? It's not like I just sat back down in front of it. I had it watched me walk and walk. So the I'm only time sweater, I go but... on Zoom calls is when I do look good, like when I've done my hair and my makeup, which is very very rare and it's only if I'm like I just I need to actually look like I'm part of living the living society um so then the odd time but usually like I'll have worked out in the morning and I just stay like that for a while until I have time to have a shower and it's just that's not pretty nobody wants to see that and I mean I've just like adopted like new lounge leisure I like to call it like I know athleisure is a thing but there's not a whole lot of athle anything happening it's just the liege and the lounging so then what is lounge leisure i i think that's completely fine that makes the most sense and good for you Well, it's just like non-functional workout attire like i'm not gonna work out in this stuff it's just like a hair up from pajamas well i have yoga and i bought many i don't work out in like i have clothes that i are supposed to be workout clothes that i would change out of to work out in well, like, same. I have Lulus that I don't wear to work out in, but I wear to clothes. wear in your daily wear. Well, I'm just been on like a shopping bender with buying like more athleisure or lounge leisure wear. Like I want so badly to buy something that is like pretty and trendy and tight and like. Just something that you'd wear when you do leave the house. Um, but it's just not in the cards because, like, why? Well, because you're not leaving the house. So, like, yeah. stop. This is how I'm coping. 
I'm coping by All right, buying. Well, then keep at it. There are worse things. At least you haven't developed like a friggin' drug addiction or something. <laughs> no, I haven't d- developed alcoholism instead. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm not worried about that. What's a little <laughs> vodka? What's a sixty pounder of vodka? <laughs> Again, exactly. There's there's worse things. That's such a good way to look at it. <laughs> you I really could stay positive. You haven't hit rock bottom, Lauren. You've Are got you a long way heroin? to go still. <laughs> no? Okay, we're good. Let's talk when you hit the needle. Oh my god. I, we're joking about that. <laughs> Are we? Stay tuned. <laughs> oh my god. On that note. Uh, yeah, let's thank our sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Vitality MD. Vitality MD has amazing treatments to help with sexual interest and arousal disorders or stress urinary incontinence. And they are offering her respective listeners $100 off the O-Shot and or the Vivive treatment. So if any of you ladies think you are experiencing some of these disorders or symptoms, you can start with a consultation with Dr. Sherry Kaplan, the founder of Vitality MD, and they will assess you and help you choose which treatment is right for you. Seriously, ladies, you know we deserve this. For way too long, we are led to believe that the lack of libido, reduction in pleasure, urinary issues after babies is just part of aging or becoming a mother. And while it can be, it doesn't necessarily have to be. And we want you to know that you do have options. You do not have to live with it. We would love to normalize the conversation around these conditions as well. So go to VitalityMD.com and if you book the OSHA or Vivive treatments, make sure you use promo code HERSPECTIVE100. Yes, ladies, we can't recommend it enough um, to at least just get in touch with Dr. Kaplan's team because they can give you the information that you need and answer a lot of questions that you probably have and certainly don't know the answers to. We didn't know a lot either and we still plan on going in and having consultation and hopefully uh, getting one of these treatments as soon as um, lockdown is lifted and it's safe to do so so I mean on the onset still stay you could, tuned for our yeah, records yeah, exactly uh, but actually it's kind of that's kind of a good segue into our episode which is amazing yes. Uh, so amazing. amazing we got so many questions answered questions we didn't even know we had answered exactly She's so knowledgeable fangirls 100 as per usual and also now we're just like going to recommend this kind of uh individual to all of our friends and yeah. family like and, and women in general um so yeah like i said it's a good segue because Our guest today, Kim Vopney, she is a pelvic health specialist and she is most well known for her handle, The Vagina Coach, which she'll get into that and it's a great story and I mean, if that didn't already catch your attention right now, if you zoned out from this episode a little bit and you heard the word vagina coach, like... Yes, because you Zone need back to listen. In. Zone back in. Um, so Kim is a certified fitness professional and uh, she got into being, quote unquote, the vagina coach because she was really passionate about spreading information and teaching people about the importance of pelvic health. And that got spawned in her after the birth of her first child. Um, Kim is just like one of the coolest ladies we've virtually met 
Uh, hopefully one day we will actually be able to meet her, but she's a published author. She is a speaker. She's a woman's health educator and she's a mama too. She's also a founder of a couple businesses, um, one of which she's already sold, uh, but she actually was like one of the first founders in, I believe, North America. And I say I believe because she isn't 100% sure, but anyway, she will get into that as well. And I mean, honestly, like, we also broke down like, well, we didn't, Kim did, but so many like misconceptions. Like if you're all out there doing Kegels, like it's your job, you can probably stop because you're probably Kim, doing it wrong. You're A, you're doing it wrong. I wouldn't even say probably because anybody I know that has talked about Kegels does go with that whole, like how like tight can you get, right? And um, again, <laughs> Kim will shed some light on that. So if you're doing that, stop doing that. Just stop now and keep listening. Exactly. And just like one of the big things that we chatted about, which I loved this part of the episode was, um, you know, the bounce back body, right? After having a child and the importance of also not doing that and just like respecting birth and pregnancy and post-birth um like postpartum bodies uh and kim explains why that's so 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 important more important than like running back to the gym yeah no for sure and i think that's something that we do want to normalize and we do want to have more conversations about because that mentality needs to go bottom line yeah it's built around shame and lots of stigma and unrealistic expectations too like you know we as everybody knows that listens to the show, like we compare ourselves to so many like different celebrities and expect to like be able to do what they do, look how they look with like minimal effort or like a quick fix. And if you haven't figured that out yet, that that does not work and there isn't one of like, there isn't a quick fix for pretty much anything, right? Then this is the episode that you also want to listen to to understand exactly why that is and why it's important to just like let your body go through the process of pregnancy and postpartum and all of the things as women we realize that we just don't know enough about our own bodies that I've lived in for 36 years you've lived in for 31 years like you just we don't know enough about our bodies and People like Kim are the people that you need to speak to and see. Yeah. So without further ado, welcome, Kim. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you. Obviously, anyone that listens to the show knows that we love to talk about well, vaginas, sex, everything like that. So, like, this is just perfect for us. And this is you right have, up our alley. Yeah, right up our alley, of course. It's like vaginas, yes. Yes, right um, up our vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> but who wouldn't want to talk about vaginas, especially when I think people do not know enough about their vaginas? Like, totally agree. Well, first, 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 it's not just the vagina. So, yes, let's yes. let Kim tell yeah. us who she <laughs> is and what here. she does and what she's all about. <laughs> Uh, yes. Okay. So, um, my name is Kim Vopney and my brand or handler kind of slogan is the vagina coach. And I 
I kind of made that term up. I'm not going to lie. And, and it came about kind of by accident. I was speaking to a group of women entrepreneurs at the Mompreneur Conference in Toronto about four years ago. And I had written a blog post that was called How Optimizing Your Pelvic Health Can Make You a Better Mompreneur. And it was brought into the National Magazine. And then they asked me to come and speak at their national conference. And so I said, yes, of course. And up to that point, all of the speakers were really some sort of a business coach, strategy coach, marketing coach, whatever. And when it was my turn to come up on stage, I, I I like to start out with a little bit of something. I usually crack some sort of a joke. And this one just kind of came out. I, I hadn't planned it at all. I walked up and I said, okay, so now everybody, you have a vagina coach in your business. And, and it nice. just sort of came out. But as it did, it was this light bulb moment and said, I said that, that is what I need to do. I need to, you know, people feel uncomfortable about the word vagina. It's it, I, I need to change that. And it brings people's attention to exactly where I want them to pay attention to. Uh, and it sort of summed up the fact that I'm talking about women's health, regardless of the stage of life. It used to be, I was called the fitness doula and I focused really on pregnant people. And as I kind of branched away or not away, but branched beyond that, including pelvic people, uh, pregnant people, it, it fitness doula no longer resonated with somebody who was in menopause. So vagina coach summed it up and how I decided, you know, how I kind of got where I am now really started when I was young. I had a fear fascination of childbirth and didn't think I was ever going to have children basically because, yeah, because my mom had some issues and I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. And, but as I got older, I watched my sister-in-law give birth and that was definitely, uh, kind of the TSN turning point for me where I thought, okay, I can do this. And it was completely different from anything I'd really? seen. On... I've seen somebody give birth before too, and it did the opposite. It really, oh, really? was birth control. Yeah. Oh God. Well, my, the, in grade six, when I saw the first video of childbirth, that was birth control for me. And then yeah. when I got older and I, I watched and like, she was supported by midwives, it was a beautiful experience. And I thought, okay, I could do this. I can do this. And Good so, for you. yeah, it, it and it, my background's fitness. Um, I had trained as a doula as well. I didn't practice as a doula, but I took, I wanted to embrace the training and the philosophy around pregnant, pregnancy and birth. And so I combined the, the principles of fitness and looked at pregnancy and birth really as this event that we needed to prepare for. And, uh, and that's kind of how it started. So I combined fitness with birth principles, but then expanded beyond that into the to the pelvis into pelvic floor health as it pertains to owners of a vulva and a vagina through their life stages pregnancy motherhood menopause and that's what i do yeah amazing and you also created some programs though for women that were looking to do a few different things right like not just strengthen their pelvic floor but maybe um work with other issues that they were dealing with. Yeah, correct. So my first program was called Prepare to Push, and that program still exists. And again, when I started, I was working really exclusively with pregnant people and recognized that that was such a, an overlooked time of life to to bring in that conversation of pelvic health. So many some people would have heard like, oh, make sure you're, you're pregnant now, make sure you do your Kegel exercises. And we, we need a whole hell of a lot more information than just go home and do your Kegels. And so I, I, I looked at that and said, okay, how can we prepare the body for birth so that people can birth with confidence, they can birth with power. But also when you look at, when we train for something in fitness, we, it's called the principle of specificity. And we look at, okay, I want to run a marathon. 
So I don't just decide I'm going to run and then show up on the day and run a marathon. I have to progressively increase my distance and my speed and do some cross training. And there's an element of tapering off before the big event where you're resting and kind of building up your stores. Then you go and you participate in the event or compete or whatever it is. And then there's a recovery period. And so I looked at those those periods, periodization, if you want to have the fitness term, or, or just key times within the cycle of pregnancy and birth and said, we need to be training just like we would for a marathon or a triathlon or a mountain climb and look at what are the demands of labor and how can we be training the body to respond at its best, at its optimal during the event, so to speak. And then afterwards, that w- the recovery was really, and it still is really quite overlooked. We live in a society that really glorifies you know, getting back to the gym and the selfie and, and we, we emphasize our belly. We compare our belly to fruits and vegetables all throughout pregnancy. And then as soon as we give birth, it becomes a place of shame that we have to cover up and we have to look, not look pregnant as fast as possible. Yeah. And look super fit, fitter than you were before even. That's a big thing that we definitely want to chat more about today because that's huge. And, you know, you think by now that we, we, with all the things we know and how it can actually be unhealthy for you to, as a, you know, postpartum mother to, you know, rush back to the gym and do all the crazy like diets and exercise just to look a certain way only to actually kind of be harming yourself. Yeah. And and physically, yes, but also mental health is like a big factor. I think there it's too. the mental health too, that pressure, which you have enough going on right now. You just gave birth, you have a baby, like you don't need to be like hating on yourself or putting that undue pressure just to be skinny. Like right. your body has changed and that's just, I don't even know why for some reason people expect it to like not change or like, I don't, yeah. it's so weird. Well, you see the celebrities and, you know, public yes. figures, people that are, you know, have a lot of notoriety and they seem to have this like magical wand that one day they're pregnant and the next day they're back in their jeans that they were wearing before they're pregnant. Yeah, and, like, their, their magic the wand happens right? to be a chef and a personal trainer and housekeepers yeah. and nannies we and know money. That. Yeah. We know that about celebs that they have, you know, unrealistic resources, well, for, for most people. And and so we know that with every other aspect, like when we see them driving these fancy cars or wearing these fancy clothes, we know we're not like crazy trying to compare or like buying those things because we know that we can or we we just don't live that life too. So why? Yes, we are case, though. People are trying to com- like to be that or achieve that or or what's worse is they get upset with themselves or with their life because they're not achieving it when that group of people is like the one percent. So, um, like, sorry to interrupt, Jess, but I just no. think that like yeah, that is the issue here is that. It, this is not the norm, right? Like that lifestyle, having that kind of accessibility to the best of the best. That is, right. I wish we it was the norm, but it's not the norm. Right. Yes. Yeah. And we would all be fit and, you know, back to those jeans again. If we did have the chef, if we did have the whatever the hell else they yeah but we also have to we have to i think that the other piece that's overlooked is there's there's a lack of appreciation for what the body has done and there's no gratitude and and so we 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 just look at like you know this it's just we don't even really honor the process and of the amazingness that just happened and 
celebrate the fact that we just gave birth and we grew this person and, and all the adaptations that have happened over the nine month period, that's just, it becomes secondary. And now it's just like, I want to feel strong again. I want to get my body back. I want to feel like myself. And I get it. I, I had those sensations and feelings and emotions as well, but we, when you bring it back to the pelvis, which is where my focus always is, that's, that's our center. That's where our power and our confidence come from. And that's where our core strength comes from. And if we are rushing back to activity sooner than what would be considered optimal, and before we've had a chance to retrain the pelvic floor and the core, then we can set ourselves up for some some challenges. And that's really where the mental health piece comes in too. Yeah. And it, it can come in at both times. It can come in with people who want to go back to the gym right away, but maybe they are experiencing some pelvic floor challenges and maybe they're afraid to move, or maybe they don't know if they can exercise or what would be considered safe. And then the other people who um, maybe are, you know, they've taken some time, but they are still struggling with pelvic floor dysfunction and they're still uncertain about how they're supposed to carry on. Like, how am I supposed to lift my baby? How am I supposed to do this if I have incontinence and I'm leaking or if I have organ prolapse? Um, so it's, I really want people to pay attention to this central part of our body that is so important to so many aspects of our life, but is so grossly underserved. Nobody talks about it. Our healthcare practitioners don't bring it up in conversation and we need more information. We need more awareness and we need uh, more resources so that we can manage our pelvic health through our life. I mean, this is like common with all things vagina, to be honest. Like we don't talk enough about, um, you know, we don't give enough attention, I think, to our vaginas, even not just pregnancy, even our periods. Like we're expected right. to just continue to go on with our day, even though I want to cry because my cramps are hurting me so bad. Right. And I'm leaking a lot of blood out of me. Like it's a freaking lot that's going on each month. And yep. nobody is like, nobody cares or acknowledges that you can never go to your boss and be like, oh, I'm just on my period. Like my mind yeah. is going mental. I cannot control this, but I have to. Yeah. So, you know, that element with the vaginas and everything is well sorry with the female anatomy with the female like reproductive is the first step where we start to learn that we can't really like acknowledge or you know really talk about it or like you know what i mean as a society it's, it's a place accept of, it, right? yeah it's a place of yeah. shame and and because we don't you know healthcare practitioners typically aren't talking about it and so we just kind of are always thinking like well i guess just 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 the way that it is just and so yeah and then and the other thing the the piece that really has has bothered me as well is that there's so much uh there's stigma around the word so even on social media I have to be sometimes very careful with what wording I'm using because they now have bots to filter out certain things you can't spell sex anymore because they've they've Mm -hmm. they've have these new policies coming into place um and so I can't a lot of my ads uh aren't approved. My shop isn't approved because it goes against the policies because I have words vagina in there or because I might have my vulva puppet up. And and that is ridiculous because a penis Absolutely. and Viagra is fully embraced and there's, there's no censorship around that. And anything to do with the female body it is it's yeah it drives me crazy it's always secondary and actually i mean that's what you just said about p- the penis and viagra is uh something that we touched on in our last episode with dr sherry kaplan of vitality md is yeah like viagra has been around for a t- couple 
decades now. And that's on your regular TV programming. Yep. You know, there's no filtering. It's not on at late or yep. on late night shows. And uh, it's on the radio. Yet what Dr. Sherry Kaplan offers, which is the O-Shot and Baviv, like that is still something that majority of people didn't know about. We didn't know about. Yep. Uh, and when we learned about it, that's why we wanted to talk to her to get more information, understand like what that does and what's the purpose and how does it help. And, uh, we want other women to know about it. So that has like a whole myriad of benefits. Um, some of like her, all of her services, but the O-Shot and Vivi specifically. Um, but then, yeah, like that leads me to what you do and calling yourself the vagina coach because that does get someone's attention. Yeah. Like I can imagine <laughs> when you went you stood up at the uh, mompreneur event and spoke and said, I'm the vagina coach. Like everybody's ears must have kind of perked up and everyone's eyes went to you. But that's so interesting because like it's a vagina. Yeah. If you're exactly. a, if you are a woman, you have one. That's like, that's what you know, but it's still such a taboo word and such yeah. a taboo it's topic. It's like saying, like, the foot doctor or the leg doctor. We wouldn't be like, ooh, leg doctor, yes. if we heard that. <laughs> Even though it's just as much as a body part as your vagina. Yeah. And it starts It starts with it starts with kids, right? Like, we, if yeah. we are, if when we're raising children, if we are always calling it code names or things, we call yeah. this our nose, this is our chin, this is our elbow, this is your hoo-ha, your foo-foo, or whatever you want to call it, then that's that's where it starts. So we need to just say, that's your vagina, that's your penis, that's your scrotum, this is menstruation. Like, call it like it is and start to normalize the conversation. And I think that goes a long way to empowering kids. Um, but, But, you know, it'll take some time. But over years, then we'll, we'll be in a different situation where it's not this like, I still even have some clients who are in a, a one-on-one private conversation. They'll say, so I've got, they'll, they'll whisper a little about their vagina. I'm like, it, you just say it. It's your vagina. There's nothing to you in my world. <laughs> but there's, you know, people have this like, well, I gotta, they have to hush, hush. And I say, no, just let's just talk about this. We have to talk openly. It's your body. It's a body part. We have to talk about it. We have to treat it. It needs maintenance just like every other part of your body. Yes. And and we have talked about that on the show before too with like the importance of making sure children know what their anatomy is called, what it, what purpose it serves and, you know, all the things about their anatomy. Um, I have two sons, so I deal with penises. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and we're very direct with it and they've seen my body and we call all my parts by their names of course we you know joke and call things by the other names too but but they're very aware and um it is so so important and having adult women come in to see you and still feel like they should whisper the word yeah. vagina like especially that's to exactly, you you're the vagina yeah. coach <laughs> yeah <laughs> to the yeah. vagina coach you can't say the word vagina yeah but it's not it's not about you kim obviously it's about yeah. The shame shame that is still associated with that word. It's still so, like, it's got stigma around it. It's got just, like... There's emotion. There's And it could be... Yeah, it's ugly, it's nasty, it's bad. Like, yes. It could be trauma. There's a lot of emotion tied with the pelvis, and I I get that. And and sometimes it is very difficult for somebody to come, and even though it's a safe space... They, it may be the first time they have ever talked about it. And it may be that there are some challenges that have happened to them in the past that are tied. So, you know, I, I want to create a space where they can 
feel safe, where they Not can understand their body. <laughs> and, and so many people at the end of it, you know, sometimes people are 40, 50, 60, and they, they come and they're like, I, I can't believe I have lived this long in this body and I have never known this. Nobody's ever told me. I've been to doctors. I've been to therapists. I've been little and they r- rhyme off all these professionals they've seen and nobody has ever just asked them, how is your bladder working? Are you experiencing pain with sex? And, and if you ask people point blank, then you're generally going to, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, you're going to get a straight up answer. If, if you're, if you kind of dance around, so these questions might be a little uncomfortable. And if you change your voice, you know, then that just puts the person a little bit on defense and then they're not going to say, they're you're not going to welcome the stage, it. right? Exactly. You're setting the tone for it to be like, why are you, oh, you're weird about it. I need to be then, weird about it. Exactly. Like, now, yes. This is weird. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Like yes. we're not talking about it. Yes. So, and yeah. And, exactly. then it, and then it becomes like a kind of brush to the side topic when it really needs to be forefront because it, you may be someone that's dealing with something and you do need help with it, but now it's all weird and awkward and we're just going to pretend like nothing's wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when, if you look, if you look statistically, there's a lot of people dealing with pelvic floor challenges. It is very common. And the fact that it is not talked about more regularly, the fact that professionals are not regularly asking these, these questions, I think is, is irresponsible, really. We need more attention paid to the pelvis because it affects so many aspects of our life and especially our mental health and our, our emotions, our relationships. It affects so many things. And, when we have confidence and we feel in control, we don't even think about it, which is a good thing. But when there's something going wrong with your pelvis, that's all you can think about. And it clouds everything else we do. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about that then? Like what are, what is going, what could go wrong? Like I maybe I'm speaking for some people, I'm speaking for myself. I would not besides, you know, childbirth believe or know what issues could arise. I don't even know what they're yeah. possible yeah, yeah, good. I, so the the, pel- the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that closes off the base of our pelvis. So if you can think about four, I'll give you four landmarks on your pelvis and you can use your own fingers right now and find them. So in the front, we have our pubic joint. Uh, people call it the pubic bone, but it's actually, a, it is a joint at the front. So it's your pubic joint. As I'm feeling around down there. Same. Totally, do it, please do it. Right do it. Yeah. Your- like vagina front right in the front like basically yeah, yeah. so where your where your pubic hair your external yes. like the piece called the mons pubis is also but yeah right there um, meat yep just yeah, above it's your very, above that, very it's like sensitive like it's quite tender yeah it can be yeah. have you ever got hit so, in the vagina right there it fucking hurts <laughs> that would hurt yes that would hurt have you ever Pre- given birth to a child pregnancy <laughs> Pregnancy will hurt there too. It fucking hurts, Jess. Yes. Okay, well, actually, sorry, side note. In university, I studied anthropology and we studied um, human bones, right? And and that's how you can tell if it's a woman usually is because those bones separate and that or there's a scratch mark. My professors would be disgusted. I don't know any of the words right now. But they that's how that whole bone separates, which I know you yeah, guys so are it's a it's with, a joint. But, it's a yeah. joint there that's influenced by lots of different things. And in pregnancy, that can become a point of pain for people, significant pain sometimes because of the movement that's happening, the, the space that's being created in the pelvis. But so anyway, so that's, that's okay, an so attachment that's point. point. That's an attachment yep. point of your pelvic floor. The other Still one on the back. <laughs> so now if you want, you can take, depends on how many clothes you have, but if you're, if you put that's your hands kind of just belt. below where your belt would be, and then your fingers, one of your middle finger will go kind of in between your butt cheeks and you should be able to feel your 
your tailbone, tailbone. so the end oh, of your yeah. sacrum. My tailbone is a disaster. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's another attachment point for your pelvic you floor. Big, big pain for uh, pregnancy for me too. Yes. Yes. That's where I really felt a lot. Yes. Okay. So now. Mm-hmm. Take another hand, take, say, take your oh, right hand and go under your right butt cheek and pull your butt cheeks apart, but also kind of dig, kind of press oh, yeah. upwards and you should feel a bony point in each bum. Oh in yeah. The, in each your bum bone. cheek. I don't like have. those either. Yeah. So those are your sits bones. Ischial tuberosities is a fancy word, but sits bones. Those are also attachment points for your pelvic floor. So that's like a diamond. Pubic joint, tailbone, two sits bones. I can like visualize bones. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Got it. Picture it in my mind. Yeah. As yeah. I... Rock on my sits bones here. Yeah, totally. You can rock back and forth. You can rock side <laughs> you to side. You can them go a lot in circles. In yoga because it f- feels so good. That's a good way to get to it. Yes, totally. So there's your attachment points. Those are the, that's the closing off. Like that's basically our pelvic outlet are those four points and the group of muscles we're talking about attached to all those. There's three different layers of the pelvic floor. Two of the layers are responsible mainly for closing openings. So we have openings that we would like them to stay closed. We don't want pee, poo, and fart coming out of us when we don't want it to. So the two layers are closing off the sphincters. I'm still a child as I laugh at all of that. (laughs) But true, I don't want that happening. No, we want to be able to just like, we should also be able to feel and, oh, I've got, I've got gas building up. I got a fart brewing or I've got a poop. We should be able to distinguish between the two. And then the third layer is responsible for our organs. So we have a bladder, uterus, rectum, and we need support for those organs. So the third layer is mainly responsible for keeping the organs up in place. The, the pelvic floor collectively is very innervated. There's lots of blood and they also, the muscles play a role in our sexual response. They also play a role in our pelvic and spinal control and stability So there are these essential, it's an essential part of our body, this essential group of muscles. And we have been told nothing about how to care for them, nothing about the influences of hormones, pregnancy, birth, falls, accidents, exercise, nothing. Nothing. And literally not until. I've never been told about my pelvic pelvic floor in my life. No. And we've, we've learned about menstruation. And that's usually it. So this is, you know, and maybe about tampons and that's kind of it. But But, barely too. And. So, okay, quick question. This might be silly, yep. but so your cervix is yep. under that floor or that floor? Like, because, f- okay, so do those open up to get a baby out? <laughs> yeah, good question. Okay. So yeah. in so in the, in the openings, so if you can think about, um, like, if you were looking at somebody lying down and you're looking at their, you would see the external genitalia, their vulva, and kind of if you pull the lips apart, you'll see the entrance to the vagina. So the the vagina is a tube. And at the top of the tube, you would have the cervix and the uterus. And the pelvic floor is sort of like a sling that is, I mean, you could say it's underneath the, the cervix in a way. It's not really underneath the cervix, but it would be, it would be, if you have like a bowl, a trampoline sort of shape where that, that is your pelvic floor. And if you were to pull the lips apart so the the vulva you would come into a tube that's housed in there but the the pelvic floor is more closing off that opening does that make sense oh so that's more like the surface (laughs) no this is embarrassing i know nothing about my own friggin anatomy especially my own vagina and what's going on in there like i don't even know where my period comes from to be honest uterus i think but um so so embarrassing (laughs) 
my god! I don't even know. Like this. Guess what you're doing? I know. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. I actually like to take a mirror and look at my vagina. I actually, you know, I I feel around up there and see what's going on. You know what I mean? I'm curious. I just don't know anything. Few people, I think. And and the funny thing is, actually, is we call our vulva our vagina. Yeah. It's actually not. Right. And and that is I mean to me that in itself is just Yeah, why don't terrible. we call them as our a vulvas. woman? We are we just identify that area as the vagina. Yes. But that's correct. not actually what right. the that's a mind blowing area is. Right. It is, is mind blowing. And yeah. it's women that do it. Right? Totally. Yeah. And we like so your us. your period, the blood is coming from your uterus and it's coming it, it comes through your vagina and you, when you put a tampon in, it's going up into your vagina. When you pee, it's coming out your urethra. Right. So that's a separate opening. <laughs> and there are a lot of people that still think that pee comes out of their vagina as well. Babies, when you give birth, a baby Harvin. will come through the vagina. the vagina. So it comes out right. of the uterus and passes down into right. the vagina. And then it passes as it's, as it's basically ready to come into the world. It's, that's generally, I mean, it, it's a little bit higher up that, but but that's their head is meeting the pelvic floor. So right. the, the pelvic floor muscles yeah. are, are closer to the outside, so to speak, than where our uterus and cervix are. Does that make sense? It makes yes, sense. Yes, but to- th- that point is scary that you just said that people still don't understand the function of the urethra and the no I am sorry I'm a little like caught off guard like I get it I'm also in that group of like do I really fully understand all of the functions of Can my you name everything down there like, yeah. floor, my vagina all of the, all of the pieces but that one I'm clear on yeah yeah I feel like everybody should yes be clear hopefully on that. we should be and why on. aren't you if you're not like yeah. where has <laughs> society and life failed you yeah yeah it, well, and it's your weird. parents i guess also. <laughs> maybe they need to look more down there and see because if you start looking you kind of get an idea of what's going on obviously like yeah you know this is your hole and so you can kind of put like two and two together because technically your head's all the way up here you don't you can't see what's going on inside you it's hard to get down there so yeah it's hard to and know. that's another reason why that the whole you know go home into your kegels is also challenging because we can't see, we could, if somebody says do a bicep curl, we watch a video. Oh, yeah. they pick, okay, I curl my, yeah. great, I got it. But you don't go and, you know, stand in front of a mirror and flex your pubic coccygeus muscle, your, well, you your, could, your but. pussy muscles. You could if you want to, but no one's, you can't really see them, right? So it, it's, that makes it a little bit more elusive. And that's why it's really beneficial to have, to work with a, ideally a pelvic health physi- physiotherapist who can help you assess and understand your pelvic floor and optimize the function. So there's there's lots of contributing factors why it's kind of an area shrouded in, in mystery. Um, and you'd ask, so I'm going to circle back to what you had originally asked, which is what are some of the symptoms or signs that something might not be working optimally? The more common challenges that people face with their pelvis and their pelvic floor, and I'm talking about people who have a vulva and a, a vagina. So it's mainly women or people who who have female parts that we're talking about here. That's my area of specialty. Um, so incontinence is one, so that's very common statistically, you know, 35 to 40% ish of women, I think it's higher. That's what statistically they tell you, but I believe that it's higher than that. Um, incontinence can be stressed urinary incontinence, which is where little bits of urine leak out with a laugh, cough, sneeze, jump exercise, that type of thing. And people call it peezing or sneeze pee. 
And that's where you see the pad commercials that say light bladder leakage is just part of being a woman. And and I call bullshit on that. Ugh. So um, so do we. And thank you for calling bullshit on that yeah. because I kind of thought it was too. Yeah. Like no, I my mom is in her later sixties, and um, you know I think she's she's had different symptoms uh, throughout aging and yeah. menopause and stuff, and she's in great shape. Like she's always taking care of herself, and I mean it, it, that just wasn't even something that was like really discussed as. Like you don't that doesn't have to happen. Like it's kind of just yep. That's that's part Except of it. That it is. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you exactly. had a kid. Well, expect it. Yeah, and even yeah. after you give birth, um, it's almost sort of like a joke. Not a joke, and as in like you're a joke, but it's sort of like haha. Now you're gonna like know what it's like to pee a little when you yeah. laugh or when you jump, and that's the kind of t- conversation around that condition so to me that says like well that's what it is like just right. accept that and yeah yeah you can do your kegels which we definitely need to get into talking yes. about kegels Don't yeah. um, <laughs> but you can do your kegels but that's you know it might help it might not but that's yeah. okay because there's pads and right that's part of being a woman like you said and yeah. um i'm glad you're calling bullshit on that because tell our listeners why that's bullshit because i kind of didn't think it was so yeah i mean incontinence at the end of the day is it's a it's a signal your body is sending you saying, I need some help. I need something to change here. I can't manage this load or there's something maybe tissue related. There's something is, is not allowing me to do my job here. I need some help. And women are very good at just one, because we think we're supposed to accept it, or we see the commercials that say that's just the way that it is. So we, then we're putting a pad in and we carry on and it doesn't And I go think away. we're kind of like, side note, I think we're used to pads or tampons or anything of that yeah. nature because we have to use them every month anyways. So it's yeah, like, all exactly. right, well, one more exactly. reason. Right. So we just carry on. And, and usually women wait around six and a half to seven years before they actually go and get some help. And then typically they'll go see their doctor, which I'm going to get in. That's a sidebar. I'll go there in a second. Do they but, get help just because it gets so bad? Like yes. it's getting to the yeah. point like where Yeah, like finally they're I'm, like, okay, I've got to, I have to do something here. So Basically peeing myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then the other thing is uh, urge incontinence, which is where you, you know, you're going about your day and then all of a sudden you have an incredibly overwhelming urge and you're like, I got to get to the bathroom right now. And oftentimes you don't make it. And that will be a complete release of the bladder, which you can imagine how life altering that would be and how you may avoid certain activities and maybe not go out with friends anymore because you're afraid. Is it just the bladder? Like we're just talking about urine. Or is it also the rectum? It can be both. Yeah. So fecal or anal incontinence is less common, but it absolutely is something that can happen as well. And, and that's even more isolating and more. Absolutely. Oh my God. um, You're just shitting yourself all the time. You wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. So can you imagine how hard it would be to mother? Could you imagine how hard it would be to participate in intimate relationships with a partner? Can you imagine how hard it would be to date? Can you imagine how hard everything, right? Work. To support yourself. Exactly. Right? Like you have to work and. Yes. So that's incontinence and you can have a mixed incontinence. You can have a combination of both stress and urge. Um, you could have all three. You could have some anal incontinence as well. That's that's incontinence. People associate it with older people, but yeah. young, especially high level athletes, very very common in young high level athletes. That and then we have organ prolapse. So organ prolapse is where yeah, you mentioned this earlier, and Lauren told me about this and ruined my yes. life about this because I did not know these types of things could happen. Yes. 
And if we <laughs> but knew it's also about associated it, with the elderly too, though. Like that's one thing that isn't. Oh, for sure. You that, wouldn't hear sure. about really with anybody under the age of like seventy-five. Like it's that's where my think. mind. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. When I learned about it, it was through someone who worked in an old age home, and they said, right. "This is this can happen when you get old." Right. That was. There. Yeah. Sometimes prolapse can take twenty or thirty years to develop, for sure, but it also can happen again at young ages. And over eighty percent of people that give birth at six weeks postpartum have some degree of prolapse over 80%. And there is nobody screening for it. There's nobody giving people this, the information on how to heal or what they should be doing. How would you even know? Like maybe I had it. I wouldn't know. Exactly. You might still have it. Well, people, you would think you would, but early stage prolapse can be asymptomatic. So your bladder is maybe shifted out of position a little, maybe your uterus has, maybe your rectum has. And, and, Especially in the early weeks postpartum, there's a lot of new, like you're like, it's just everything's changed, right? So sometimes you may have a symptom, but you're just like, well, I just gave birth. That's just the way that it is. And yes, I um, full on peed on my bathroom floor one day because I could not hold my pee in. I tried to get there and it just came out of me. Whether right after, like pretty quickly after I gave birth, like within the first or second week, I would say. So repairing like a lot of repair was happening at that point. It right. was very fresh. Um, but it was just so shocking to like yeah. be, uh, I was, this was my first pregnancy. So I was only um, 28. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I've never, I haven't peed myself yeah. since I was a child. Like yeah. I don't yeah. even understand this right now. Yeah. I knew like little dribbles might come out later on, but like it just, I just peed on the floor. Like, yeah. That's what yeah. Happened. And it would be really, I think, nice to know these things that can happen yeah. and, and what it means and what you should be doing about it. Right. So especially when there's so nice. much that is going on, like, you know, essentially, and this is what freaks me out. I don't have kids, but this is the exact reason why I'm, I'm not like overly excited is because I'm so scared of, um, ripping into like having yeah. your freaking whole body open up basically to let yeah. this child out. And that's terrifying. But there is so much that there's so much that's going on and so many things that I've heard like from my friends that have given birth, my sister-in-law. I think if we know or are prepared for all the the typical things that would happen in childbirth or whatever life with a vagina, then when things that aren't going as they should, we're aware right away and Yeah, I I believe like pelvic health physio to me is something that really should be standard of care. And and if... Again, if we start the conversation at a young age about the pelvis and about its power and about its potential and about how we can care for it through our life stages, then people are, they're aware. And they just like, we've been conditioned to go to the dentist every single year. Yeah. And we know that we are supposed to brush our teeth twice a day. And I know if I, if I'm like, oh my God, I forgot to brush my teeth. Like you have this panic attack, yeah. like, yeah. oh my God. And we need that same press to happen with the pelvis they that is brilliant marketing in a, in a sense <laughs> it sounds kind of strange but yeah. if we had the conversation about this is something that we and we need to care for it and you're going to see a pelvic health physio once a year once you become se- sexually active because there's all these other influences that happen throughout our life and we need to care for it and you need to do your pelvic floor exercise every day and you need to see your pelvic floor physio once a year if we had the same effort that we place for our teeth then so much of this could be mitigated, or at least people are aware of the early signs. 
and, and know that, okay, I need some help. And that they then go to see a pelvic floor physio as their first line of defense and not rely solely on the medical community or medical system. We need them as part of our team, but I don't believe that they're really the, the experts from a first line of defense perspective in, in screening and assessing. Say we, we go to dentists every year because we're scared of our teeth falling out. That's what they say. Your teeth will fall out, right. rot out. Yep. But why, why is the threat of incontinence not a, a threat enough for us to get seeing our pelvic floor doctors? Like, why is that not scary enough for yeah. us? Because it's or, not talked about. It's not something yeah. that's mainstream that you even know is a possibility to happen yeah. to you. And so that's like... When you say that a pelvic floor specialist should be one of the professionals that you see after, you know, you become sexually active or whatever age they should be seeing someone at, as going back to being a mom and after having a baby, you have a, most hospitals and in my experience and from people I know that um, have given birth, you have someone come in to help you learn how to breastfeed to make sure that they're latching properly. And they have breastfeeding uh, clinics. Yes, and yeah. I at the hospital I gave birth at, um, I wasn't allowed to leave until I attended the clinic. It wasn't just the the nurse coming in and checking. I had to also go to like a class essentially for about and an hour. And what if there was a Kegel class or a pelvic exactly. floor physio class? But yeah. that's the thing because you know we and we haven't talked about it um, in detail yet. But um, diastasis, dia- diastasis, yeah, diastasis, yeah, that is something that so many women suffer from and had would have no idea. And I actually didn't really know about it until one of my friends had it quite badly. Yeah. And, and I, I do remember after – What is that? Yeah. And I'm going to let do- – uh, doctor. <laughs> I'm going to let Kim. You might as well be a doctor at this point. <laughs> I'm going to let Kim doctor. explain it. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I remember after giving birth, my doctor, my medical doctor, who also was um, actually the doctor that – help birth my child my delivery doctor uh he just did the like kind of poke test on my stomach after and it was sort of like yep okay you're good i i had no idea what he was even looking for maybe he was looking for that maybe he wasn't maybe just making sure my uterus was like going back to normal size so that to me is like crazy because then i have a had a friend who if she did like a crunch got into a crunch position her stomach went into like a pyramid yep it was what? the craziest thing I've ever seen. And you could fit your whole, and you could even see it. I could fit my fingers in between her abdominal muscles. Yeah. I had no idea that that Oh, could it's where the m- muscles don't yeah. go back. You're like a sliding door. Like, yeah. I know. There's so many. Also, it would have been nice to know about ahead of time. And, and if you yeah. know about these things, then you can do, you can be doing things in your pregnancy to help. There's, there's nothing, you can't do anything to 100% prevent diastasis or 100% percent prevent uh tearing or incontinence or prolapse there are so many dynamics that go into birth there's co- things of our own body connective tissue um, integrity like there's so many things diet all sorts of stuff but there are things we can be doing to help mitigate or reduce the likelihood or reduce the severity but it it's that nobody is talking about it and and, and people are finding it out after the fact and people feel quite resentful and angry they're like why the hell didn't anybody tell me about this before or i would have maybe made a different choice here i would have done this differently and and that can be part of the mental struggle after is that why didn't anybody tell me that, that this could happen and if i had known then i would have done this and that's part of what you know processing it is is really challenging pelvic organ prolapse is really yeah is, is devastating and um and then diastasis. So diastasis is 
basically, if you think of your six pack muscles, the two, they're called the rectus abdominis, and they're like two straps that kind of run straight up and down from essentially our, our sternum down to that pubic joint. Remember where we were having our fingers on before we were feeling okay, our onto the pelvis. Yeah. <laughs> so, and in between those two muscles, there's a connective tissue called the linea alba. And that connective tissue can stretch when we're pregnant. It can stretch from other things as well, but we're talking about mainly pregnancy um, right now. So as the belly grows, that connective tissue becomes stretched and weak. And it means that then the two rectus muscles can sort of migrate away from that midline. They're never fused together. There's always a space in between them. And everybody has a different space. Like no, the other misleading part about diastasis is when people find out after the fact and they get measured or assessed for it, and somebody says, oh, you have a three finger separation or a five finger, whatever it is, People go, oh my God, I've got a five finger separation, but they may have had a five finger separation before. We Nobody had assessed it before. So it's a little bit misleading as well. And people are always focused on, I got to close the gap. I got to get them back. But closing the gap is, is it, they never, the, the gap is always there. It always has been there. And we just don't know what the size was per se. But it can, in some people, it can lead to a tummy that doesn't flatten anymore. It can contribute to back pain sometimes because the rectus attach onto the pelvis. If there's a lack of integrity along the abdominal wall and in that connective tissue, it could potentially influence the the pelvis as well. Some studies show that there is a correlation between diastasis and pelvic floor dysfunction. Other studies show so that there isn't. So it's really, um, you know, it's not a guarantee saying if you have it, you're going to have pelvic floor dysfunction. But I, I find that they are very closely tied and interrelated for sure. It's all part of our, our inner core. But a big thing with that too is the fact that, okay, so that's one of the issues with women after postpartum thinking they need to rush back to the gym, right? And thinking like, okay, I've got to get fit again. I've got to lose the baby weight. I've got to get my abs back, whatever. Maybe they don't know that they have diastasis um, or other pelvic floor issues. And you've got all sorts of different um, fitness types of people. And there's, I mean, you know, you Google anything about fitness, abs, postpartum, you're going to get a million different opinions and instructions and advice. How do you know what to listen to? I wouldn't. Yeah. I I didn't know. I thought, I knew like enough that, yeah, you got to take it easy. Like your body is not supposed to bounce back like right away. Like this whole bounce back, even terminology is terrible. Yes. Um, (laughs) But but luckily I was, you know, I knew enough. And I did have a a great mom that way to be like, this is what your body is supposed to do. Give it some time. You're healing for crazy. Yes. You're healing. You just, a human just exited you. Yes. It's like the biggest trauma you go through naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day. Exactly. We're we're pregnant for nine for nine months. There's a lot of adaptation that's happening over that nine months. And then there's a birth and it's either a vaginal birth or a surgical birth. And to think that at six weeks postpartum or even two or three weeks postpartum that everything just goes just because the baby is not in there anymore. You're not pregnant anymore. It doesn't mean that everything's blip back to normal and everything zips ups and uh, absolutely not. There's that, that the, the undoing of that nine months followed by a birth, it takes at least the same amount of time, if not more to, to fully recover. And the six week green light, I believe is irresponsible as well. So we have superficial tissue that may have reached the healing point 
at six weeks, but the, the support mechanisms, the core Mm -hmm. synergy that we need to have for our continence, for our organ support, for our sexual response needs to be retrained. And that's a really like essential, essential piece that no one really knows about is we have to retrain the core and gradually progress back to our fitness. Right now, we are pregnant, we give birth, uh, we ha- we have this, you know, pressure, we think we need to get back and we wait, maybe wait for our six week green light. And then we are told that, okay, you're ready to go back to fitness. And we'll either go back to what we were doing before. So for fit people who've been in fitness, they go back to what they were doing before, same lifting the same weight, running the same distance, da, 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 da. or for people who maybe have kind of dabbled and now are feeling like, oh, okay, I really have to get my body back. I've got to feel strong again. They will sometimes choose harder activities than what they were doing before. And at six weeks postpartum, yeah. in my opinion, the body is not ready to handle the loads of those intense activities. And absolutely, we need to exercise, but running, jumping, really heavy lifting to me is, and more and more research is supporting this as well, needs to be delayed for at least four to six months. And it's the pelvic floor physio who should be giving you the green light to go back to those activities. And they will have been helping you go through those progressions. It's not just like do kegels and then you can go and run 10K like you did before. There's a whole bunch of other, you know, you've got to be able to stand on one leg. You have to be able to hop on one leg. You have to do one leg squats. You have to be doing some bounding exercises. All of those without symptoms of pressure and back pain and pelvic pain and incontinence. So the the people will go back and they may experience some leaking. But again, because they're kind of like, well, I've had a baby. That's just the way that it is. And they don't know. So many people don't know about pelvic floor physio. They then just put the pad in and they carry on. And God. and that needs to change. I think so, women really so need more. Really a huge misconception of thinking like, you know, just because you see whoever you see, maybe it's not, we're not just, you know, pinpointing celebrities like your neighbor or your friend, yep. you know, their body changes. But it's not like... <laughs> One size fits one, right? Like you, right? Maybe they have a pelvic floor specialist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if we are going to talk about celebrities, they probably do. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> they're getting the best treatment, the best care. They can't the... be just peeing themselves on the red carpet. So I'm sure that they're not just messing around with that shit. <laughs> that's, that's their main reason. I can't be peeing on the red carpet. So help me. Well, imagine the bad publicity from that. <laughs> <laughs> But really, though, that is a huge misconception. I think one of the biggest ones uh, postpartum for women, because you are faced with this, like, get your body back. And that's what you hear. And like, oh, three week training program or do this for, you know, three weeks and you'll be back to normal. And that's still like, uh, like, you still hear that you still see that this is with all the information, all the education, people like yourself, specialists, everything. It's still a thing and yeah. it's scary yeah. because you, you're you probably doing more harm to your body than good and really you're going to actually make yourself take longer to repair and get back into whatever shape that you want to get back into. Yeah. Um, or than face these things like later on or, and not as yeah. elderly as you'd think that they should be, right? 
Right. Cause there's going to be other influences to add there. We, we, maybe we have other babies. Maybe we have an, a car accident. Maybe we fall on our tailbone. Maybe we are starting to approach menopause. Like there's so many different things that influence our, our pelvis and our pelvic health. And it's not, it's not just a do kegels while you're pregnant and you're good for the rest of your life. It's, it's a, this is a maintenance. This is an ongoing, just like fitness for the rest of our body. We have to do this. And there's a term or a philosophy called mother roasting or mother warming. And it's, different cultures around the world that have practices that honor the postpartum recovery period. They, they, it's like very, very important. And the first 40 days are what sets you up for the next 40 years. And so what people do in those early weeks postpartum is really, really important. And in, in North America, people are taking selfies or trying to get back to the gym as soon as they can. And in other cultures, the women are, being nourished, they're being cared for, they're being mothered, babe is brought to them, the mothers are kept warm, they're brought soups and stews and collagen rich bone broths to help heal tissues, they're wrapping the abdomen and the pelvis to help give some external support while they do their internal exercise to rebuild their their where muscles. Where is this happening? Yeah, where, exactly. what are these cultures? Because like, why? You, those are you the know, ones North that America help can... their periods too. Yes, yes, and North America, you would think, is like the continent that is so like ahead of it all, progressive. knows it all, yes. progressive. We are the best of the best. Meanwhile, we're we suck. Like we suck. Yeah, <laughs> like, we ways. don't know anything. And yeah. so, what are where are these cultures? I want like, these stews. <laughs> there's so Southeast Asia is a big one. So Bengkong wrapping is. Um, I lived in Southeast Asia when I was um, when I was a teenager, and, and I didn't see a lot of. I didn't have I didn't have a lot of um, opportunity to see birth per se, but I know a lot of the medicinal. There was jamu ladies they called them, which are these like they would walk around with these baskets full of all sorts of potions, and they could fix anything. And it, and and so the jamu ladies come and they mix together these pastes that you rub on the abdomen, and they're full of amazing herbs. So that's one. There's Japan, Mexico, like China. There's all sorts of different cultures around the world that that embrace these different, like slightly different in different cultures, but the same understanding that we need to give the, the, this new mom, this parent, an opportunity to heal, mm-hmm. to let her body recover. Cause it's going to help with a better milk supply. It's going to allow her to mother better. It's going to mean that she doesn't have these challenges that interfere with the rest of her life going forward. So she can have a nice, enjoyable, productive life going, going forward. So they, they built, they have a village really. We don't have villages here. Yeah. And the take the village the, thing is something yes. we're really lacking. Yes. It's not even just, you, we barely even have like equal partnerships, especially when it comes to childbirth because the mother does everything and then is expected to like get right back to it and yeah you know do everything we're else lucky if on we have top su- of it everything cleaning yes. and we're lucky if we have supportive husbands but still there's not much they can do like we really should be training them from a young age to be preparing these stews and soups and bringing them to us why the hell not yeah. well there's yeah. just a it sounds like there's just a general respect yeah yes for birth yes. motherhood post-birth I yes. mean that that seems it just sounds like that's something that we don't have here we're in such a rush yes. to get into the next stage and do the next thing and look the best and, and be the best back. that we're just not respecting the entire process yeah. yes and that's exactly. like kind of woman womanhood in general like we don't society doesn't really respect 
womenhood, womanhood. Yeah, well, women, women's health is, of, is is definitely a kind of at the bottom of the secondary. bottom of the ranks for sure. Yeah. 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 And then so okay. I have two questions because I definitely want to talk about these kegels and if we should be doing these all the time when what what time but I have to tell you one of my best friends is pregnant right now and she just she's giving birth in like two weeks literally and she just found out that she has to have um, a scheduled c-section because he's completely breached the baby and she is like so worried about her pelvic floor and everything like that so if I didn't ask and she knows you're I'm talking to you today she'd kill me so what advice would you have for a mother who is having a C-section uh, birth as well? Very soon. Well, very soon, but yeah. not just like vaginal birth as well. Yeah, good question. So a lot of people think that if they have a cesarean birth that they are immune to pelvic floor. They're like, oh, well, I didn't give yeah. birth vaginally, so I'll be – my vagina is fine. And, um, and yes, it can preserve elements of it to to some extent, but – the people have still been pregnant. They've still had the same hormonal influences. They've still had the additional weight on the pelvic floor. They've had the biomechanical adaptations. They've had the migration away of the muscles from the midline and the abdominal wall. Like all of that stuff has still happened. Right. And sometimes people have a cesarean after they've been in active labor and, and pushed for a while. But in your case, in your friend's case, if she's act, uh, she won't go through active labor, she'll go in and have a scheduled cesarean. Yeah. Um, with a cesarean birth, there are multiple layers of incisions that happen to get down to the uterus and those multiple layers need to then be sewn up so you have multiple layers then of resulting adhesions which can greatly influence our core function and that can sometimes influence people's sex so a lot of it's very common for people to have pain with sex after a cesarean because muscles start to overwork because there's been a kind of a disruption to the core synergy. Other muscles are now coming in and, and almost overacting, o- overworking, so to speak. And right. um, the pelvic floor is one of them and it's treatable. Absolutely. But again, if we knew this information ahead of time, so absolutely she should still see a pelvic floor physio and pre-book that appointment now. So she's due in two weeks. Is it too late for her? Um, <laughs> it's no, no, absolutely not. So say, say January 3rd, 30th is her her due it's date actually let's February just say 2nd. February 2nd. Okay, so then um April 2nd she should call a pelvic floor physio and book an appointment for April 2nd and get it booked, get it in the calendar cuz most physios have 4 to 6 week wait lists. And if you want you want to ideally get in kind of around that 6 to 8 week postpartum window and uh so pre-book that appointment so it's in the calendar and then you just have to go and show up you don't wait for six weeks and then have another six weeks to to wait and they will pelvic floor physios will assess her pelvic floor for sure but they can also work on on mobilizing her scar tissue so that those adhesions don't interfere with function so it's really important to help keep our any scars even if we had an episiotomy or a tearing scar in our in our pelvic floor we need to keep that tissue supple enough so that it's not getting stuck and then impeding the function of the muscles. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So our, that listener knows who she is. You're welcome, babe. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> some free free therapy right there. Yeah, um, but really postpartum recovery state is, is for the most part the same, whether you have vaginal or cesarean. There's usually certain things are delayed a little bit with the cesarean 
birth, like returning to Kegel exercises and your mobility is a little less after you've had major abdominal surgery. But generally the, the postpartum recovery protocol that I put people through from an exercise perspective and wrapping and, and foods and what have you is, is the same regardless of the mode of birth. I'm so glad you said that because I have had these conversations with a lot of different women and they those that have had C-sections are like, well, my vagina's perfect. Like nothing happened to me. And I don't know if it's in part like a bit of a defense mechanism for them because they didn't have quote unquote, and I'm doing air quotes, um, a normal birth as people call, which is actually just a vaginal birth. Um, so they say like, oh, well, at least I didn't, my vagina is like going to be good or like it's tight still or this, that, like all the little things that they say. Yeah. And I'm almost like, so are you're like throwing shade at me for having a vaginal birth? Like I'm not throwing shade at anybody right, for right, having right. a cesarean. Um, so it's kind of like it's a weird thing. I'm for certainly very, not all people weird. are like that. I've, I've encountered this a few times, but I've heard it too, like yes. in other circles. So it's just an interesting thing that there's also like – <laughs> there's like this division of how women should even give birth. Like some yeah, people are like, no, I very... want a cesarean because yes. then everything stays in place. And it's like, actually it doesn't. Yeah. So Yeah. You know, and, and it's very, the, like anything uh, to me, there is so much in the world right now that is so polarized and birth is absolutely one of those things. And really at the end of the day, um, it's your choice. It's your body and it's your choice. 100%. And part of what I'm trying to do is, or is it's not, and then give people gotta... more information so that they can make informed choices. And really, at the end of the day, all you want is that baby to be safe and healthy. Right. So there's, there is absolutely, a, um, and of course, of course, the, the whole nine months, you know, you're just like, I hope it's healthy. I hope it's healthy. I hope it's healthy. And everything's fine. However, I do also believe we need to, we need the mom to be healthy too. We need that parent to be cared for. And, and that's, it, it, everything is about the babe as we prepare, you know, buy clothes, decorate the room, think of names. And, and we need some element there of focusing on let's, how are we going to build the best birthing body that you have? And how are we going to nurture and support that new parent after the babe is born? That, that piece is overlooked. And I think things like baby showers, like a lot of people say, um, you know, oh, well, let maybe hiring a doula is too expensive or I can't afford a wrap or, you know, whatever. Uh, and I get it that people have different financial situations, but generally many people do have baby showers and on that baby shower registry, you don't need 50 million washcloths or sleepers or, and it's fun to get a cute little outfit here and there, but what you need is food. What you need is a wrap. What you need is a postpartum doula. What those are things that moms really, really benefit from. Yeah. And if if people can contribute to things that will be self care and body care, uh, core health recovery, pelvic floor physio appointments for the mom, that that to me is so much more valuable than a cute pair of socks and a face cloth. Right. This is that is just like light bulb moment honestly because let's normalize that I, totally let's normalize that and i would have not scoffed or been like oh my god you got me this at my baby shower if someone was like i love you lore and they happen to have this knowledge and were like 
you're going to go see this woman. She's a pelvic floor specialist. You're going to greatly benefit from this. I would have been like, thank you so much. I mean, yes, baby showers are fun. But that's, again, it's a societal thing, right? right? Like, it's you just think you're supposed to do it. No one ever kind of, like, flips a script on that. No one's like, yeah, but what if you didn't and put all – or, like, had some form of a shower in the sense that everybody that would have come to your shower or – still comes and hangs out for the day, but throws in whatever um, denomination right. that they could afford towards something yes. like that. And for the doula. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I was very, very lucky that I had a doula with both pregnancies. Um, one was you finishing did? their, yeah, one was finishing their course and oh. she needed one more um, birth to complete it. So I, again, very lucky and fortunate that I, I, she was complimentary for me. And uh, my second was, with my second son, um, a friend of mine was completing her course and she wanted to be my doula. So I, and I have said to so many people, like, if I can suggest anything, get a doula. I didn't even know what a doula was. My friend said, hey, my sister's friend is becoming a doula and she needs a pregnant person. You're that person. Do you want this? I was like, yes, I think. (laughs) Yep, I do. Good for you. Um, It could only help, right? Yeah. And she did. And I mean, she was great for me for sure. Um, when I went into labor, but she came in the middle of the night, but it was actually better for my husband because totally. he's kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And she was the one kind of doing like, yep. okay, I showed you the pressure points. Like this is what she needs. What do you need? Yes. How, like, have you packed the bags? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, so it was just like yeah, so amazing. many things. Meanwhile, I'm like, just like, <laughs> you yep. know, trying to Zen out. <laughs> but, yep. um, so yeah, like I, I love that. And if, our listeners take one thing from this, it is that message. Like, yes, little outfits are adorable. All the stuff is fun and cute. Um, But but honestly, (laughs) we we need the doula. We need the pelvic floor specialist. We need to understand like what, what kind of nutrients, foods, like all of those other subsequent things would be better. And honestly, if I could do it over again. We need the six There's a really, there's a really great book. Jugly. Yeah, there's there's a really great book called. There's two really great books. One's called The First Forty Days, and it's by Hang O, and it's full of amazing recipes around the mother roasting tradition and the nutrition piece. And then there's another great book by Kimberly Ann Johnson called The Fourth Trimester, and she talks a lot about the mother roasting philosophies as well. So I, I would, I I love it considered that way. The fourth trimester. Yeah, it's not over. Yes, like you know, why would There's so much going on while just beginning in that stage for sure. Okay, before we close out, please tell us what we need to know about the Kegels. The Kegels. And I always thought it was called Kegels. Kegels, Kegels, I don't even know what it's called. I just told 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 us to do it. And I think, what is the biggest misconception there? Because that's the one thing that you hear about. Well, do your Kegels and you'll be fine. So blow that out of the water now too. So Kegel, Kegel, I, I say it both ways. Um, it, tomato, tomato. I don't think it really matters. Uh, the Kegel exercise was designed by Dr. Kegel and he saw women after childbirth experiencing more difficulty with contracting and relaxing their pelvic floor. And so he used a device called a perineometer, which allowed people to see. So it was, it was a balloon inserted into the vagina. And when they would contract and relax, there was a, a gauge. So people even if they couldn't sense what they were doing as well as they could before, they could see. And that biofeedback helped them regain better function. That's how it started. And what's happened over time, like many things in fitness and movement, people think harder is better. People think more is better. 
And so people, and people also interpret a Kegel as a squeeze and that's it, just a squeeze. So people are squeezing and holding and doing max contractions. And oftentimes they're using their inner thighs or maybe they're using their glutes to do that. They're not actually using their, see, look at your, you're lifting yourself up off your. I'm trying right now. I'm <laughs> totally trying right now. I'm definitely using my butt and my. So if you see face. somebody moving but or I hopping up and down your seat, moving. you're like, no, that's not your pelvic floor doing that. <laughs> but not your that's, butt that's cheeks. Not... I feel like my butthole moving. Yeah. Is that not it? Yeah. Oh, well, goddamn, I'm always doing my Kegels. Yes. Well, your, your butthole is like the, the pelvic floor muscles encircled our openings, right? We have the urethra, we have the vagina, we have the Ooh. anus. There's, <laughs> and the muscles wrap around those openings to help close them off and allow them to open when we need them to. So we need muscles that respond appropriately. We want them to be able to close those openings when we don't need them. and and Or if there's an increase in pressure, like a laugh or cough or sneeze, that they can respond and we also need muscles that can relax and open for when we need to give birth, when we want to have sex, when we want to poop or pee. And so there's a, there's this balance between strength and endurance and suppleness. And what's happened over time, again, back to the Kegel, is that people think that it's a squeeze and they think that, oh, just like, I got to... I'm going to lift a piano with my pelvic floor, with my, with my vagina. Right. So, it, and so there's, there's a misconception that it is a squeeze. We need to have, there's a lift action that happens in the pelvic floor. Remember I was talking about that third layer that's responsible for organ support. So we need, we need that element, that part of the pelvic floor to be able to lift. Levator ani is, is the name of it. Lift the anus is the, is the direct translation. So when you were saying you can kind of feel it in your butthole a little bit, good. We should feel it there. There's a, it's, we need those openings to be involved. And so the the Kegel exercise is a bit elusive because no one really is being assessed for it. Ideally, we see a pelvic floor physio. They assess our pelvic floor. They assess for tone. They assess for balance of of tone between both sides. They can tell, is there a gentle hug? Is there a gentle lift? And is there a letting go? So they use gloved fingers to uh, to assess that. There's also biofeedback devices that we can get and use at home if we don't have access to a pelvic floor physio, like the LV. The LV is a, is a good one, and it can actually distinguish between people who are bearing down, thinking they're doing a Kegel, and people who are actually doing the proper contract and lift. And visualization comes into play. So if you can imagine you have a blueberry at the entrance to your vagina and your, your anus. So the, the two, the two main openings, like not, I don't want to take anything away from the urethra. We can bring it into, but generally vagina and anus, there's a blueberry at the entrance. When we inhale, the pelvic floor is, is opening, is lengthening, is releasing tension. And then when we exhale, we're going to use our muscles to pick up those blueberries and bring them up into our body. I'm laughing because I see both Jess and I are doing Your faces are concentrating very hard. I'm picturing that stupid blueberry and then I'm all like, I'm like, am I lifting the blueberry into my body? That's what I thought yes, of. I and then you want to put vagina. the blueberry back down again. Is that a thing? Like you can actually do that? Laura, go grab a blueberry you can do what? test. I have blueberries. No, don't, I don't recommend that you, you actually put a blueberry there. Okay. I like, literally um, never do that. But it's a visualization. And, and that might be like people are like, I hate blueberries. Or maybe that maybe that doesn't elicit the response we're, we're looking for. So we try something different. So you could imagine you have a smoothie with a straw and you're going to you're going to use your vagina to sip your smoothie through the straw. It's easier for my bum for some reason. Is go. that why? Yeah. So the levator <laughs> ani, the lift the anus is is more and sometimes it can be the position that we're sitting okay. in sometimes it can be that's just where that's 
the part that we direct more of our attention to. There was actually a study that showed that an anal cue for some people is actually, well, if they were going to pick out that was actually the most effective was an anal cue. I don't always use them because sometimes if people have been sitting a lot or if they have posture where they may have a posterior tilt in their pelvis, an anal cue may not be the most successful for them. But again, everybody's different. So it's about finding the best cue for you. And I suggest, so I have a video on my YouTube channel called The Core Breath, and it walks you through with a couple of cues. And I recommend people do that and then go to the physio and then say, okay, I'm going to try picking up blueberries now, or I'm going to try sipping a milkshake, or I'm going to try, I'm going to pretend there's a tampon slipping out and I'm going to pull it back in or whatever. Try a few things and then allow your physio to help you determine which one elicits the best response of the pelvic floor. Where do we get that nice gentle hug, that lift and the subsequent letting go? Okay. And how often should we be doing this? This research will say you should do three sets of 10, 10 second holds three times a day. I don't believe that's realistic. That's crazy. And I, my approach to Kegel exercises is three C's. We need to do them correctly. So once we've determined that, you know, we can pick up blueberries and let them go, great. We've got them correctly. Now we need to make sure that we do them consistently. Consistently, It's not just a quick fix and we don't ever do them. It's a, it's a lifestyle. And the last piece is we need to coordinate our Kegels with movements like squats and lunges and bicep curls mm. and, and exercise. So not, not walking and running and, you know, cardio type, but more of our kind of body weight or weightlifting type exercises. We need to bring the pelvic floor into dynamic movement because when we're sitting at a chair, not very often is urine going to leak out of us or not very often are we going right. to necessarily feel pressure in our pelvis. But when I stand up from my chair, I actually notice a bit of leaking. Or when I laugh at my friend's joke, I notice a bit of leaking. Or when I pick up my child, I notice a little bit of pressure in my pelvis. So we need to identify our pelvic floor, find our best cue, get consistent with doing it correctly, and then start adding it into movement so that we train it dynamically so that it's better. If we train sitting on a chair all the time, it's not going to translate into those other activities of daily living where we need that response, right? Right. So I heard that so. you should Kegel when you're going pee. Start no. and stop the flow of urine. No. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. No. I can stop you can, doing that now. Every once in a blue moon, you could pee and then just for shits and giggles be like, oh, can I stop my flow of urine? To Use it as a test and just say, do I have the capacity to close that, to stop that flow of urine right now? So it can be a good test. Some people are can, no problem. Other people are like, oh, I really have to try really hard to stop that flow. But we should not be doing kegels while we pee. We should be peeing. We should be allowing the <laughs> pelvic floor to relax so the bladder can contract and empty. If we're, if the bladder's, when we pee, the bladder contracts and it needs the pelvic floor to relax so that it can come out. If we're doing kegels, which is a contract Aww. and lift, while the bladder's trying, it's like, dude, come on, let me go. And then you'll <laughs> never bladder. empty your bladder completely. <laughs> And you could end up getting some infections and it messes with the, the messaging. So it's a test every once in a while. That's it. It's not where you actually practice your Lauren, <laughs> stop doing this all the time. I'm going to stop that now. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't do it all thing. the time. But this, <laughs> this your is poor the problem. Bladder. This is the kind of thing we don't that know. you hear and you think this is what you're supposed yeah, to do. No. Yeah, we don't like, know. And, and the, when you said that, you know, a lot of women 
think it's a squeeze and like I can literally lift a piano yeah. with my abilities. Yeah. That I learned that too. Like it's supposed to be like, <laughs> oh, you're just supposed to be as tight as like a frog's no. booty hole, basically, is like the terminology. And there's different here. there's differences and of, of exertion. What? So there are some people that actually need to think about like they need they need to exert enough force like imagining they're picking up a, a piano there are some people that need to think of a max contraction but generally we're kind of looking for like 30 ish maybe 40 percent of of a max contraction so it's not like this like like, like, uh, like you know it's the you're, you're squeezing as hard as you possibly can and lifting up as possible hard as you possibly can for some people they might need that but generally it's 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 not meant to be this max, super heavy like, contract yeah. and lift. Well, now I don't even know if I know how Goes to do it. Go see pelvic floor physiotherapist. Picture the right. blueberry. I'm yeah. going to. I'm going to. So you said, you said if somebody takes away one thing, make it the baby shower. I say if people take away one thing from this podcast, <laughs> go see a pelvic floor physio. It'll change your life. Well, that, of <laughs> yeah. course. But that's the overarching the thing th- to that's definitely the over, take That's the main <laughs> message. And people, people want to, once, once your baby is born, people want to come and help too. And, and, and you can just say, you know, we're, obviously right now, nobody's really doing a lot of baby seeing or anything like that, but just if people want to help and say, you know, if you could drop off a meal for me, that would yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. Or book me, or an, book appointment me an appointment here. Yeah. Or, yeah. I can leave my house. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, but that honestly though, that is such a great message, and I everything has been a great that message. you brought it up because it's something I would never even have known about or think about, and I'm pretty confident that in our circle, also would have been like, oh, I, yeah. that's a thing I didn't know. We do and, not know this stuff, and and we have lots of mothers mm-hmm. in our circle. It's not like you know, there's yeah. people that have been through, this. and we all have mothers, yes. and we also have mothers. So we can We're tell our women. mothers to go see the pelvic floor physio as well. Yes. They probably need it. Yes. They have like these like 60-year-old pelvic floors that are like, God damn lady, like I need a break. I need some help. <laughs> well, and often, you know, our moms are that that more commonly in that generation, they've just they've just accepted it. And it is absolutely never exactly. too too late. And especially, you know, as we hit menopause, if there's been little kind of naggy symptoms that we've been able to kind of just put a pad in or ignore or what have you, once we approach menopause or hit menopause, then things really can start to escalate once we lose estrogen and our hormones are changing it yeah. it changes the landscape and it changes the suppleness in our tissues and and symptoms can really become a lot more heightened so we have to stay on yeah, top these of things it. are irreversible we've got to stay go into it healthy yep it increases the importance of yeah coming and seeing someone like yourself and the other thing is that we want to get out there is ask your doctor don't be afraid to say I want to see a pelvic floor specialist, so maybe they can refer one, or maybe you just should ask more questions at your yep. checkups. Um, don't be afraid to about, say vagina like, either. Yes. Also, Start with that. that. Take that totally. away from this episode, for the love of God. And <laughs> Yes, all of us say vagina yeah. together. Vagina. Vagina. <laughs> you know, we've left off more than one episode in the past with girls, go look at your vagina, and here we are yep. having to do it again. Do it again. Reminder, go But also feel all your four points, yes. yeah. too. Yep. And do your kegels. Put this episode on repeat. Rewind to that And you spot. can, you can self-assess your, yourself for a kegel, too. So, you know, wash your hands and... Put your finger in your vagina and see when you pick up your I blueberries. Do. Can do I feel a gentle hug? Do I feel like okay, yep, yeah. I've got my blueberry, and then do I feel like I can kind of lift it up? It's not like a ma- major lift, but just a gentle kind of drawing up sensation. 
and then can I let it go? So we can use our own fingers. We can use, a, if we have a partner, we can use partner's fingers. If you have a male partner, it could be a penis. You know, it, we, we don't need, yeah, we don't need to invest in a, in a biofeedback device. <laughs> we have doctor, usually doctor. some built-in tools already. So, um, but yeah, explore a thousand percent, grab a mirror, explore, check it out. It's important yes. to just even to look for skin changes because there are there are changes that can happen to our skin that can influence our, our pelvic floor function. So we have to we have to be on the lookout for that too. Well, this was absolutely amazing, Kim. So incredibly informative. Yeah. Like Yeah. <laughs> even for us a lot. that think we know about our vaginas, we clearly know nothing. Like we clearly yeah. don't even know what it's called. <laughs> clearly. No, you so do. yeah, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where can people get more information from yes. you? People need to get in touch with you or at least follow you. And uh, so shout out where all of the places that we can yeah, find thank you. you. My my website's vaginacoach.com and my social handles are vaginacoach. At least now no one's deplatformed me yet. But um, vaginacoach, Instagram is typically where I hang out the most. Um, I also have a private Facebook group called Box Talk. And, and that's a, it's a private, nice. it's a private group and it's a safe place to come in and it's about, I think it's just over, it's about 1100 women, I think. And it's people who are experiencing challenges or people who some don't have a challenges. They just want to learn and know. And it's a really supportive environment for people to just ask questions. I do a weekly Q and A and, um, it, it helps people gain some awareness and, and know that they're, that they're not alone. Um, so yeah, that's amazing. That's right. Ladies, go check out the box talk and vagina coach. And <laughs> as always, remember to follow us at Herspective underscore podcast. And thank you so much, Kim. This was amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate yes, you guys. Thank you. Um, I, I, anybody who's willing to help spread the word, I, I really am truly grateful. So thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.